Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how God is overjoyed with the success of sinners coming to Him and grieved with pain at the failure of lost sinners to come. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Hello, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our study in the book of Exodus. Let's take a few moments now to ask God to help us. Lord, we do come to you now and ask you to help us. Help us by taking away every distraction from our hearts. Help us, Lord, to open our eyes that we might see our wonderful Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the scriptures today and come out changed for having seen him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you follow along here in Exodus chapter 3, again, starting at verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey." And so that was a promise that God had made to them that he was going to take them. And then starting again in verse 18. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. Ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Now, in our last study, we looked at what it meant in verse 15. It's very interesting when we study this here in verse 15, because God said to Moses, this is what you're supposed to say to the children of Israel. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, had sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. What a statement for God to make. This is my name forever. God could have chosen any name for himself that he wanted, but the name that he chose is to be an eternal name, not just a temporary name, but eternal name, is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we saw, as we looked at last time, how Abraham was in himself a man of fear. But when God chose for his eternal name to be the God of Abraham, God was making a statement. God was saying by that, that for all eternity, God was saying, I want to be known as the God who took men of fear and made them into men of faith. And that was behind his choosing the name of the God of Abraham. We saw how Isaac was in himself. He was a weak man. He was not a strong man. He was a weak man. He was backboneless. He was running away from the Philistines. And yet God chose for his name to be 
the God of Isaac, his eternal name. And what was God saying when he said, I want my name for all eternity, forever to be the God of Isaac? God was saying for all eternity, he wants to be known as the God who took weak men and made them into strong men. Case in point, Isaac. We saw how Jacob was in himself. He was a deceiver. He was a conniving man. And yet, when God chose for his eternal name to be the God of Jacob, God was making a statement there. He was saying, I want to be known for all eternity as God who took conniving, deceiving men and changed them and made them into truthful, honest men, which is the man that Jacob became after his dealings with God. These were the men that God chose to be associated with. These were the names that God chose for all eternity for him to be named, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And they tell us so much about God. They reveal to us the nature of God. They disclose to us the character of God. God's character is that he loves to change men from their lost state of brokenness to become saved and to become solid in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's character, he loves to save men from themselves and what they are in themselves and what have made them lost. And he does not take pleasure, God does not take pleasure in judging men for their sins. We're going to see that Pharaoh was judged, but God never called himself for eternity. I am God who judges Pharaoh. He doesn't want that to be his name. He wants rather to be his name of the names of the men that he made a completely new man out of in Abraham and Isaac and in Jacob because he takes pleasure in saving men from their sins. And these names that God has chosen for his eternal names, they show us the nature of God. Every time we read in the Bible where God says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that should bring a thrill to our hearts. That should bring a joy to us because it's a reminder, as they should be, as God intended it to be, of the fact that God changes men and loves to do it. Why is that such a thrill to us? Because we're the ones who need to be changed. We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved because we're lost in ourselves. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have made a mess of our lives. We hurt ourselves. We hurt other people in ourselves. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, God comes and he changes us and he makes us to be conformed to the image of his son. He makes us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ who did everything good. That's wonderful. And that's why God wants to show us his nature, and he wants to show us his nature by mission statements that he had about himself. When the Lord Jesus Christ was here, he made certain statements that were his mission statements. Luke 9.56 was one of those mission statements where he spoke about himself. He said, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. It's wonderful that he said in this mission statement that he came to earth. When it says that the Son of Man has not come, it means the Son of Man, he didn't come for this purpose, he came for another purpose, but he came. And just that fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, that's so wonderful. That's all encompassed in the term Messiah 
or Christ, sent one, anointed one, commissioned, sent by God. That's what it means when he says he came with a purpose. And his purpose was not to destroy, but to save men. Men deserved to be destroyed. So his purpose was not to come to give what men deserved. His purpose was to give them what they did not deserve. They did not deserve to be made into a new man. They did not deserve a destiny of heaven. They deserved a destiny of hell. And he didn't come by mercy. He didn't come to give us what we deserved. But by grace, he came to give us what we didn't deserve. And then he said in another one of his mission statements in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man is come. So before he said the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Here he says the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So beautiful, so simple, and so beautiful in simplicity. In that mission statement, again, he said, he came to earth with a purpose. The Son of Man is come. And his focus is on the lost. And his focus is to seek the lost. And his focus is to save the lost when he found them. And again, John 3.17, right after the most famous verse in the Bible, of John 3.16. John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In other words, in this mission statement, he said that when he came to earth, he was sent to earth. He was sent to earth, and he was not sent to earth to condemn the world. He was sent to save the world. In John 12, 47, another one of the mission statements, he said, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Same thing. I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. In this mission statement, he said that he would not judge the world. He did not come when he came the first time to judge the world. He came to save the world. So all of these mission statements, what are they saying? They're expressing over and over and over again that God had a mission when the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. And those mission statements are not what man is apt to think about God. What man is normally thinks about God is that God is not sympathetic. He's harsh. He's judgmental. That's what religion will do. Religion will bring the harshness of God to the fore. Religion will bring the distance of God to man. Religion will never speak about the relationship between man and God. Religion will never speak about friendship with God. Religion will speak of cold buildings of stone and a God who is far away and how we in fear must seek to do whatever we can to not incur the wrath of God. And that's what we normally think, and that's why we are apt to think of God as not sympathetic, to think of God as harsh, to think of God as judgmental. And God wants us to understand that he is the opposite of those thoughts. So to change that view, he's chosen for his eternal name to be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he has the intention And he's given us the record, he's given us the history in the book of Genesis. He has the intention that we should study these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and particularly focus on what they were and what they became because of God, because of his sympathy, because of his kindness, because of his love for mercy. Now, 
Those names, therefore, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they express the heart of God. With those names, God is opening himself up, and he's saying, this is my heart, learn of me. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. And so, he wants us to know this about him. And it's not easy for us to understand this about God, but God says, take time. Take time to absorb why I chose these names. He spoke three parables. And it's good if you'd like to turn to it in Luke chapter 15. And these three parables, he's again revealing his heart, which is again revealed by the name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's what it says in Luke 15 too. The Pharisees and scribes murmured. Who were they murmuring against? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and scribes were murmuring against him, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner, that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either, here's the second parable, either in verse 8, what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now the third parable. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Three parables, three histories here, were in response to an indignation 
by the Pharisees and the scribes. They murmured. This is how we think of God, like the Pharisees and the scribes do. And they murmured against him. God heard their murmuring loud and clear. Their murmuring was expressing how they despised this revelation of who God was. They despised the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he received and he ate with sinners. Their murmuring was expressing how they despised sinners. They didn't see themselves as sinners. And how therefore they saw themselves as above sinners. They were proud. Their murmuring was expressing that if God received sinners, then they wanted nothing to do with God. And he knew that. And that's why it says that he spoke this parable unto them. Because it was their words that told where they stood. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So it's in response to their view that the Lord Jesus Christ put this particular emphasis on just how important one sinner was. He wanted to show, which he did, God's pain over one lost sinner. So therefore he spoke of the pain in the heart of the shepherd over what he called, if he lose one of them. That's the pain in the heart of the shepherd, if he lose one of them. He spoke of the pain in the heart of the woman, and he expressed this pain by saying, if she lose one piece, the pain of losing one piece of money, the pain of losing one sheep. He spoke of the pain in the heart of the father over what he called what he called the pain when the father heard, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. In other words, so here's the son, and this son says, I want nothing more to do with you, Father. I've got places to go, people to meet, things to see. Let me loose. And he ran off into his world, lost, and this was a pain for the father. And so he showed by these three parables God's pain over one lost sinner. And he showed that by the pain of the shepherd for the sheep, by the pain of the woman for the piece of money, by the pain of the father for the son that goes away from him. Then he shows in these parables God's efforts, great efforts, to recover just one lost sinner. And he speaks of the shepherd's efforts when he says these words, the shepherd to go after that which is lost until he find it. So it's not just efforts, but it's efforts with determination. Very important, those last words. Until he find it. And then he spoke of the woman's efforts, and he described that as this woman light a candle, sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. Till she find it. Again, the same thing. She is not going to rest till she find it. He is not going to rest till he find the sheep. It's all about the efforts with the gold till he find it and not being satisfied till he find it. And then the father's efforts when it says that when the son was coming back and it says when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Why did his father see him when he was a great way off? Because the father every day was looking. Great efforts on the part of the father, looking and searching for the return of the son. So he sees him a great way off. And then it says that he had compassion that welled up within the father's heart. And so what does he do? He runs. The father runs 
And this was a shame as far as the, the, the city goes because the city would say, listen, you need to keep yourself dignified and, and let the son come and beg. But this father says, I don't care what the city thinks of me. I'm going to run. And he did, and he ran. And when he got there, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. All of those shows God's great efforts in bringing back one lost sheep, one lost sinner. And then God's joy The third thing was God's joy over recovering one lost sinner. And he spoke of the shepherd's joy so that we can understand. And he called it rejoicing. And then the shepherd says, rejoice with me for I found my sheep which was lost. And then he spoke of the woman's joy as her words, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I had lost. Very important those last parts which was lost, the sheep which was lost, the peace which I had lost. So again, the joy, the pain of the loss, the effort to find it, and then the joy at having found it. And he speaks of the Father's joy when he said, bring forth the best robe and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. So it was these three truths about God through these revelations of the character of God, of the nature of God, number one, that God is a God who has great pain over one lost sinner. Number two, that God goes to a great effort to save one lost sinner and doesn't quit till he finds that lost sinner. Number three, God has great joy when one lost sinner is saved. God was greatly pained over three lost sinners named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God went to great efforts to save three lost sinners named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had great joy when three lost sinners were saved named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, to commemorate God's great pain, to commemorate God's great efforts that he would not quit until he found, to commemorate God's great joy in saving the lost Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God decided that his eternal name should be forever the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This name was so important for God that he told Moses, you please tell them, the Jewish people, that this is my name forever. And then he went on to say one more thing at the end of verse 15. He said, this is my memorial for all generations. See, my name forever is one thing. My memorial is something else. That's interesting that God chose the word memorial to describe what he was doing here. Memorials, the remember. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember all. And And that's the memorial of it all. Well, the memorials in God's picture album book are the histories of people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're the histories of lost people that God was pained for, of lost people that he went and sought until he found them, of lost people that were saved, all like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's his will that everybody be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is who will have all men 
to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So God is about all, but he works on the one by one, the individuals. And he wants to have these memorials for every person on earth of how God found them, of how God saved them, of how God was paying for them until they were saved. And then throughout all eternity, there'll be these times of sitting down, so to speak, with the picture book, with the God's picture album book of those memorials of how God was pained and he sought and found and they were saved. And if a person does not allow God to save them from their sins, if a person does not allow God to make them a child of God, if a person does not want to have anything to do with God, a person who is deceived and says the cares of this world are more important than God, A person who says, riches, I'm following riches, it's more important than God. If a person does that, then a person will not have any pages in God's picture book of memorials. And that person would not enjoy going through God's picture book of memorials of how God saved other people, because there's no picture of him or her in that book. And that person would be absolutely out of place in heaven because that person would be a stranger in heaven. And if that person tried to get into heaven without being a part of the family of God, God would say those awful words that the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 7, 23. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's because going through the picture album memorials is really reserved for those who are the family of God. It's really reserved for those who have a picture of themselves in the picture album of those who God has allowed to make a memorial out of them. Thank you for joining us today. Now, if you'd like to send a gift from Tom Cantor to a lost Jewish friend of yours, we can do that for free. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org, fill out the online form. We also have an online bookstore, all at friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.